Now, for the show that brings combat sports stories to life from the great state of Ohio, this is Forged in Ohio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 30 of Forged in Ohio. My name is Jake Murrin, and I'm the host of the podcast. I know I had to make episode 30 really stand out and entertain all of you listening with one of the best young fighters in Ohio, and there simply wasn't a better choice than the 11th guest that I had on the show back in January. Since then, this man won his third amateur MMA title, turned pro, and turned 26 years old all on the same night and has since signed a contract with Bellator. I'm excited to talk to Mad Max Metzger about all that and more. Thanks for coming on the show yet again, Max, and welcome back to Forged in Ohio. Brother, thanks for having me, man. Jake, appreciate you having me back on. It's quite the introduction, bro. Yeah, I got to hype you up, man, because your career as an amateur, I mean, there was so much going on, and you passed every test with flying colors, and now the pro debut for Bellator. I can't wait to talk to you about all that and more. And a lot has happened in the life of Max Metzger since we last spoke. I want to go kind of in chronological order and start with the final fight of your amateur career. Of course, you won your third amateur belt by defeating Graham Hunter by unanimous decision last March. When we talked about Hunter last time, you talked about how he was an opponent that motivated you, but there was a lot of tension between the two of you guys when it came to the fight itself. Tell me more about that little rivalry that brewed between you and Hunter. Yeah, for sure. Me and Hunter are cool now. We've actually trained together since then. We've had a couple conversations. We're, we're cool now. Yeah, man, leading up to the fight, like you said, you know, I knew that he was a dog, man. You know, it uh, it really did motivate me because I knew that he was going to bring the fight. The kid before he fought me was undefeated, had knocked out everybody that he fought. I think four of his KOs were in like the first minute of the first round. So, you know, I asked the promotion for that fight. Like I, like I told you last time, that's the fight that I wanted because I figured before I went pro, I had to check mark, chug mark everybody. I had to check mark a good jujitsu practitioner. I had to check mark a good wrestler. And I had to check mark a good stand up artist. So I went and found, you know, pretty much the best of those that I could find. And once I, once I beat all of them handedly, I was like, what else can I do as an amateur? You know, what else can they, what can they do to hold me back from going pro now? But in terms of the rivalry, man, the thing that impressed me the most about Graham, you know, obviously he's a good striker, but what what impressed me the most about him was his presence of mind in the octagon. And all the film study that I did of him, he he was very cool, calm, and collected in a way that I hadn't really seen any other fighters on the, on the amateur level, you know, even come close to that level of composure and kind of like stoicism. So... You know, I, my whole thing, like, I talk I talk shit to all my opponents. It helps me get in my own zone, and it really just is, it's fun for me. Like, it's who I, it's who I am when I get in there, you know what I mean? It's just, that's just, it just comes naturally for me. It's not something that I have to fucking, like, try to do, you know? It just, it just kind of naturally happens for me. But uh, I in particularly knew that uh, I wanted to get him off of his game. I wanted to, I wanted to, you know, get some emotions going in him to try to get him away from his strength, which is, you know, if you're a striker, you want to be very calm, very calculated, and you want to be able to pick your shots. And uh, I knew that if I could kind of get under his skin, then he'd be itching to hit me, and then he would rush his shots a little bit, and 
in my head, the only way that he was going to be able to beat me was if he was able to, you know, stay on the outside and play that outside game. So um, I knew that if I pissed him off, that he was going to try to just come rip my head off. You know, that's pretty much that pretty much is what happened. I I was able to get the takedown each round in the second round or maybe it was the third when he finally landed one kick on my leg. He was so eager to go back to that well and do more damage because he wanted to fuck me up because he was mad at me. You know what I mean? When I walked in the cage, he was like, you're a bitch. And <laughs> I, he said it again. He was like, you're a bitch. You know what I mean? So he was mad, man. But uh, like I said, we're all we're all good now, man. Graham's a good dude. He's a good dude. He's a humble guy. And uh, I'm glad that we got to got to share that time in the octagon. So you talk about that tactic of pissing your opponents off before you go in there and fight them. Not only does that make them angry and not fight to their best, but it also puts you in that zone that you were talking about. Do you actually go into that cage as angry, as pissed off as you're making your opponents? No, not at all, man. It's kind of it's kind of funny. Like I, I look to be in a certain state, extremely elevated and extremely almost like enraged but really in my own head i'm just like real my energy actually is very like calm like i'm trying to stay as calm as possible while putting out the appearance of looking like i'm not calm like before i went out there to fight him i was back there i must have had my eyes closed and just been focusing on my breathing for like 45 minutes straight listening to like binaural beats and lo-fi beats just completely trying to just get zen out it's actually kind of funny because I, I feel like I learned from this last one because it's like I had pissed him off. So he was on like a like a nine or a ten. And even though I looked like I was on like a nine or a ten, really internally, I was on like a six or a seven in terms of like the intensity scale. I feel like moving forward. I don't want to focus so much on like staying calm, trying to like calm down my nervous system and stay calm with these breath works and stuff like that, like. I feel like I've started to realize that me trying to stay so calm and to stay so, you know, low has like kind of made me, kind of makes me like start slow almost. Like, uh, it's like I have to like wake up and snap out of that. You know, my, my intention with doing those kinds of things has been to make sure that I'm like very present uh, in my mind and I'm very calm and making the correct decisions. But I think that the way that I've been doing it has kind of costed me like, I don't know. Obviously, it hasn't costed me, but it's almost made me like disassociate a little bit from the moment when really I should just be embracing the moment. So I think in my next fight, I'm not going to put so much emphasis on trying to stay calm and trying to like calm my nerves. I think I'm just going to surrender to the moment and just smile and just be like, I'm yeah, like I'm I'm doing this shit instead of trying to instead of trying to kind of like push back against that wave of energy, just just embracing the wave of energy. You know what I mean? Yeah, surrendering to the moment. I love that line. So rather than being, you know, calm, composed, going into the cage, are you just going to kind of embrace what that energy is like just going in there and actually getting into a cage fight with another human being across from you that has likely the same goals that you do? Yeah, you know, what I think what it is, like, I've been trying to control how I feel too much. What I really need to do is just let myself feel however I feel. And just and just let that shit ride, you know, just like let that flow out of me, however that is in the moment, just like full transparency, you know. 
Right. And you're dangerous before. I can only imagine how dangerous you will be in the future with that mindset implemented into your game. With this fight with Graham Hunter, you may have gone to your only second decision of your amateur career at Ohio Combat League 24, but you dominated nearly every moment of that fight. Were you surprised that the fight wasn't called before reaching a decision with all the heavy ground and pound that you had landed? Uh, No, I wasn't surprised. Uh, what, What did surprise me was his awareness of his positioning on the ground. Um, and what I had studied of him, I was very unimpressed with his jujitsu and his wrestling. But whenever I actually was on top of him trying to posture up and, and land strikes, his awareness of my body positioning was better than I had anticipated, you know? He wasn't a jujitsu guy in the sense of he's going to throw up arm bars and triangles and shit like that, but he definitely had more awareness of the positioning on bottom of where he was safe and where he was not safe. And he would kip or like buck his hips at the exact right time. So that did surprise me. But uh, I don't know if you remember, but when I, when I finished the fight, they handed me the microphone. The first thing I said was that I wasn't happy with that performance. And uh, I'm still not, you know, I, mm. I think that I didn't do enough damage um, at all to warrant the, the referee stepping in. So since then, I've really done a deep dive into I've always been a ground up pound guy, but I've really done a deep dive into the half guard and really, really, really figured out the nuances of that position and uh, how to really maximize the amount of damage that I can do from there. Because my past two fights have kind of gone the same way. It's been it's been me on top in the half guard trying to inflict damage. And don't get me wrong. If this is a pro fight with elbows. You know, the ref's probably going to have to stop the fight because I'm, I'm opening up someone's face with the elbows. But whenever you're in half guard in the amateur rule set and you're trying to throw punches and it's such a fucking crowded and they're, they're holding on for dear life, it's very, very difficult. You know, maybe maybe I'm being a little bit too hard on myself because if I could have thrown elbows, I think I probably would have got a ref, ref stoppage. Yeah. Ultimately, I, w- I wasn't very happy with that. I didn't think that I... I didn't think that I was able to do enough damage, and he surprised me with his ability to stop me from posturing up and, and delivering good strikes. So you weren't happy with a performance, but I think you can learn a lot from a performance like that, of course, going to your second decision of your career. Yeah. And everybody loves a knockout. I'm sure you do as well. But with a teaching lesson there, how enjoyable was it to kind of go out there and beat up a guy like you did for three rounds, especially when there kind of was some animosity there, at least before the fight between you and Hunter? Honestly, man, like anytime I step in there, if I don't get the finish, I'm not satisfied. I mean, that, I think I think that's just always how it's going to be. You know, maybe if I fight someone who's who I really deem to be on the same level as me and we have a great battle and it goes to decision, maybe I'll feel satisfied. But I have a hard time envisioning myself walking out of the cage feeling satisfied if I don't get a finish. Right. And I know you were dealing with that knee injury in your first amateur career fight that went to a decision. What was it like yeah. reaching the judges' scorecards for – only the second time in your career, but this time relatively injury-free. I was pissed, man. I was—I mean, I was walking <laughs> around the cage. I was like, ah. If you—if you listen back, like you hear me just going, just making that noise over and over again, like fuck, man. Like I shot myself in the foot. Like how did, I didn't get him out of there. Like I just laid on him the whole time. Is how it felt. You know, that—that's kind of one of the other things that I, I feel like I took away from that fight in terms of a learning experience. Is like most of the times in my fights, I'm really trying to push the push the position, push the next position, advance, advance, advance. And for some reason in that fight, I felt like I was kind of like holding on a little bit. You know what I mean? I wasn't, I wasn't uh, 
trying to advance to the next position enough. I felt like I was I played it a little bit too safe. You know, I knew that there was a lot riding on that fight. You know, I, I knew that if I if I won that fight, then the Bellator contract was supposed to come down the pipe. Mm. And uh, I played it a little bit safer than I wanted to. So you were upset with the the performance out there on March 3rd, but talk to me about the emotions after that night. Of course, it was your 26th birthday. You get your last amateur win and then also yet another amateur championship as well. I'm sure just a flood of emotions that night on March 3rd. Yeah, it was awesome, man. It was an awesome night. And honestly, the night the night afterwards, I I didn't really do much, you know. We went we went to a club, got a couple bottles. We were in the section, but that was kind of disappointing. I don't know why, but like being in the club with the bottles and shit, like it just didn't really hit the way that I was expecting it to hit. Like I was expecting to be on like cloud nine and and it was awesome, but for some reason I it just didn't feel like it wasn't as great as I thought it was gonna be. You know what I mean? I just went back to work the next day. But uh it was a great night, man. You know, my mom and my grandmother came out to see me fight for the first time. Uh, my pops was there, my grandfather was there, a lot of my buddies from Chicago drove up to see me. Uh, you know, my, my friends from the area, my coworkers from the restaurant, everyone watched and it was it was a great night, man. It was, uh, you know, it really just, it felt like it was like, like the next chapter began on that night. Cause I, I said on the microphone, when I first got down here in Ohio, after I graduated from college, I moved back to Illinois. And then after a couple months, I moved back down here again. And I've, I've been here since. Um, and that was in like, you know, 2019, late 2019, maybe 2020. But when I got back down here, I was working in the Pepsi factory. Then I was working doing security and like every single day, just was leading up to like that moment, you know, ending the amateur career. Cause I, I wrote down and I promised my girl that if I hadn't, you know, reached the professional level by the time I turned 26, then I was gonna, you know, kind of like pivot or, or weigh my options again and be like, should I continue down this path? Is, is it still, you know, a worthwhile trajectory that I'm working towards this ultimate goal of getting paid to fight? You know, it just felt like a confirmation from the universe to have that happen on my 26th birthday. So you turn 26, you achieve that goal of turning pro when you're 26 years old. Now that you are a pro, are you a full-time MMA fighter? Yeah, bro, I'm full-time, you know. I uh, I'm, I don't, I was working at the restaurant, you know, and I'm done at the restaurant now. I, I had been working at restaurants since I was 18, all kinds of different restaurants. I opened my own business as a personal trainer. I got like I got like 12 clients I meet with most of them I meet with twice a week. I'm making good money with my own personal business now as a personal trainer and you know that allows me to train twice a day, 5 days a week. I train in the morning. And I usually do, you know, shower, get some breakfast in me. Then I'll do like three or four private lessons. By then, it's like 4 o'clock, and I hit the gym, train from like 4:30 until like 8 8:30 p.m. Call it a day, go home, ice, heat, repeat. So it's really allowed me to uh, to maximize this lifestyle, man. And I'm just I'm just enjoying myself, man. I, I I love this lifestyle that I live. I don't really I don't really go out. I got a girl. It's just I'm just happy to be able to do these things that I love. You know, I'm I'm helping people get back in shape, reclaim their health. I got a I got a nine year old kid that I'm teaching how to wrestle, teaching him the life lessons that matter. You know, I got some senior citizens who I'm helping get their health back under control, 
and the whole time I'm, I'm getting paid well for it and it's allowing me to to really maximize my time in terms of training myself because it's let me train you know like six hours five hours a day every day so it's awesome man it's, it really is uh this is what i was dreaming of you know all those days when i woke up and was like fuck this shit you know i was like i don't know if i can keep going this hard i don't know if i can keep doing this shit and i was like man i just gotta i just gotta believe you know keep seeing that vision keep seeing that vision it's gonna come it's gonna come and uh and it came and uh now i'm here i'm living it it's been kind of a weird feeling since you know since i've like hit this goal which i was so obsessed over you know like obsessed is the right word now that i'm here it's almost been kind of like a lull like a little bit of a lull where now i have to you know regroup and decide what the next set of goals is going to be and you know i've been telling people man it's a it's a scary realization when you realize that the only goal that makes sense is to be world champion because that's the that's the truth in my heart when i when i sit here and i got my pen and paper and i'm trying to write down what's my next set of goals okay i want to buy a house okay i want to you know i want to pay off the rest of my car but whenever i look at my my goals as a competitor i'm already in one of the best promotions in the world and if you're not in the promotion to be the champ then you're in the wrong fucking game so that's been kind of a a scary realization for me is, man, my, my next goal is to have the Bellator 155-pound strap wrapped around my waist because there's a certain level of commitment, obviously, that, that goes into, you know, telling yourself that that's your truth, that my truth is that I need I have to be the world champion. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a scary goal. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. And I feel like a lot of people can kind of relate to that when they achieve their goals that they have right now and then they're kind of in that lull, like you mentioned, okay, what's next? And you're kind of going through that right now with that Bellator contract in hand. When you think back to those previous goals that you set out and and accomplished, fill in the blank for me on this one, Max. When you think back to that incredible run as an amateur, that 7-0 run with all the titles that came with it, you'll think of blank. Well, I think back of this amateur run and everything that came with it, I'll just think of belief faith i mean it's just, there's, there's really nothing else it has to be just the word faith man because it's it's just so crazy bro to like really sit back and be like bro like if you would have asked anybody in the fucking world if they thought that i was going to do this like when i when i first moved back here three years ago before i ever did an amateur mma fight if you would have asked you know everyone that knows me I don't think a lot of people would tell you that I would have went 7-0 without ever losing a round, without ever being punched, without ever being taken down, and get signed to Bellator without ever having a single pro fight. Not as, I don't think a single person in the world would have told you that, bro. But I had this feeling. I just had this feeling that if I just did my best, if I really, really, really did my best, that it was going to fucking happen somehow. And I kept, I kept acting like I knew it was going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, I was talking with my content team, and I'm like, yeah, when Bellator signs me next year, here's our game plan. I want to drop I want to drop this video before, this video after. You know what I mean? So we're talking mm-hmm. about that shit like it already happened. And uh, sure enough, it did, bro. So the only word can be faith. It's just belief. That's the, I, I can't think of anything else. Nobody else in your life maybe would have believed you that you would have gone on that 7-0 run. You kind of had that belief in yourself. 
if I would have told that old Mad Max Metzger years ago that, hey, you're a go amateur, you go 7-0, you turn pro, you get this Bellator contract for your pro debut, would you have believed that? Yeah, I would have. <laughs> yeah, I would have. You know, it really was after that first fight that I knew. Like, I, after that first fight, I knew, I knew who I was in this game because my biggest fear was tearing the ligaments in my knees. I, I had always had bad knees growing up. Mm-hmm. And uh, after I walked to that cage with my knee hanging on that first time, I just, after that, like coming home the next day and being like, bro, you really did that. You know what I mean? Like you really, you really just did a whole, a whole cage fight with a, with a torn LCL. After that, I knew, you know what I mean? I, I knew I was a mentally, mentally tough individual, but like after that, I was like, bro, you really, you really have what it takes to make it in this shit if you really apply yourself. So I would have, I would have believed you. I'd have been like, oh, yeah, that's that's what I thought, and I might sound a little arrogant, a little cocky, but <laughs> shit, man, that's if you don't feel that way about yourself, guess what's gonna happen to you? You're not gonna make it. Yeah, absolutely. Talking to Mad Max Metzger on Forge in Ohio. I feel like this Bellator contract was always on the horizon for you, and you mentioned talking to your content team about it as well. I do have to ask though, how did the Bellator contract come about before? even debuting as a pro. Yeah, man. So the thing that has always separated me from like the rest of the guys out here on the amateur scene, in my opinion, you know, my, my understanding and kind of perception of like representing my own brand. I'm, you know, ever since day one, I've constantly been trying to have conversations with people on the scene at these fights, do as much networking as I can possibly do. And overall, just always holding myself, not like Max, you know, not like Max Metzger, but when I'm at these events, representing my brand, you know what I mean? Ma- rep- representing Mad Max. And that doesn't mean walking around with my fucking chest out and my eyebrows all gruntled. It just means constantly trying to put myself in the right room at the right time with the right people. Bellator is missing the X Factor. They're missing that Conor McGregor, that Sean O'Malley, that Israel Adesanya, you know, showman kind of personality. And uh, if I go ahead and do what I've been doing and continue to put on a show for the fans, my dream this whole time, like I told you last time, was to open up my own gym. I want to live the lifestyle that Mm -hmm. I enjoy, and I love to compete. Once again, this is Mad Max Metzger with us on Forge in Ohio. We talked about the Bellator deal. We talked about some of the changes that come along with turning pro, but we have yet to talk about June 16th, your professional MMA debut (laughs) against David McKinney. Yes, sir, at Bellator 297. So you're not only debuting for Bellator, but you're doing it on a massive stage, on a massive fight card. What does it mean to you to fight on the same card with guys like Yoel Romero, Patricio Pitbull, who's attempting to make history against Sergio Pettis, and so many other great fighters in Bellator, but just some great fighters in general in the sport of mixed martial arts? It's truly an honor to be on the same card as uh, Yoel Romero and uh, Pitbull. And the Pettis brother as well. Um, you know, those those are household names. But uh, like I was saying, man, like I feel like I can't make this shit up. Like my dream was I hope I can somehow debut in Chicago. You know, I, I hope I can make my pro debut in Chicago. That's my dream. Man, I hope I can get signed to Bellator. That's my dream. I hope that I get signed to Bellator for this pro debut. That's my dream. And here we are sitting here with both of them, bro. You know what I mean? It's like you can't, you just, you can't make this shit up. I'm from Chicago, obviously, you know? So every fight that I've had out here in Ohio and in West Virginia, I haven't had a lot of fans. 
but we're about to fill up Win Trust Arena. I mean, it's it's gonna be a, a solid 200 people, roughly. I would have to imagine about 150 to 200 people that are gonna be there supporting me, and it's just a dream come true, man. There's there's no other way I can I can put it that it's literally a dream that, that has come true. Yeah, you mentioned it right there. Not only are you featured on this stacked card, but this stacked card on Showtime is in Chicago, Illinois. You fight out of Ohio. We established that the first time you were on the show, but the meaning, obviously I can tell with your words that it means a lot to you to debut professionally in your hometown of Chicago. What are you expecting from that hometown crowd on June 16th? (laughs) I'm expecting for people to buy me a lot of shots after the fight is over. (laughs) Oh, Um, what an answer. (laughs) Uh, what am I expecting, man? I mean, I'm expecting, I think I'm going to be the first fight of the entire card. I have a feeling that that's what it's going to be. You know, obviously makes sense being that I'm O&O as a professional. I'm, I'm the new guy. So they're going to toss me out there as probably the first or the second fight of the evening. I'm expecting there to not be a lot of people in the audience at that point besides people that are there to watch me. So I'm thinking that, you know, it's going to be real loud. Wintrust Arena is enormous. It's a legitimate, it's a legitimate arena. It is, it is huge. So, hopefully, it's gonna be real loud, man. But I'm expecting it for the fans to get rowdy because I'm, I'm opening up. You know, it's, it, it's time now. I don't mean to take anything away from my opponent or to disrespect him and the, the work that I imagine he's put in. But you're gonna have to have an army to come in and kill me to to defeat me in that octagon on June 16th in front of my friends and family in Chicago. And I'm, I'm looking to put on a real show. It's not going to be just, just me taking this dude down and laying on him. This is going to be chaos and violence from start to finish. You know, my, my biggest crit- critique of myself and my past two fights has been that I've been holding on, trying to stay in control, trying to control the tempo and just stay in control. And that's not what fighting is about. Fighting is about surrendering to the chaos and flowing inside of that chaos and making the correct reads in the chaos. It's not about trying to slow the fight down. It can't be stay on the outside and wait for the perfect shot. It has to be put that fucking pressure on this dude until he folds. And uh, that's what it's going to be on June 16th. I'll be surprised if he makes it out of the second minute. Man, the second minute. You do such a great job at selling these fights, by the way. Does it nah, I appreciate that, Jake. Thanks, man. I'm sitting here almost in goosebumps. Just, I just can't wait for June 16th now on Showtime watching Bellator 297. And you mentioned it. You know that your hometown fans are not going to have to wait very long to see you, whether no. you're the first or second fight. Does it excite you that you'll be opening up the action at Bellator 297? It does, man. It does. Because I'm anticipating walking out there and the crowd being really flat. You know, because if if I'm the first fight of the night or the second fight of the night, it's not going to be a lot of energy in that room. So I'm really excited to, you know, people that are watching on YouTube or, you know, people that are there that don't know who I am. They're not going to know what to expect. But by the time the fight's over, I got a feeling that arena is going to be turned up and I'm going to have a couple of a couple of new fans in the audience. That's what I'm that's what I'm thinking. How many more followers are you going to get on uh, social media after June 16th? <laughs> if everything goes as planned, shit, let's hope for <laughs> 600. Let's hope for 600. That'd be great. 
All right, you heard it here. 600 followers is the goal for Max Metzger's uh, social media accounts. I can't help to think that all of these combined things with this debut put a lot of pressure on a young man's shoulders. Do you feel yeah, that pressure yeah, ahead yeah. of your pro debut? You know, man, sometimes I start to feel the pressure, man. But ultimately, bro, I'm really not even supposed to be here in this position. This was never cut out for me. You know, in my own head, you know, the universe and the big man upstairs cut this out for me as long as I, you know, listen to my heart and walked, you know, walked through my belief in myself and through my purpose of trying to serve God and make the world a better place. I believe in my heart that this is this was kind of made for me. But whenever you look back at, you know, who I who I am, you know, and like I'm not one of these guys who was groomed for this. You know, I, I wasn't groomed to be an elite wrestler. You know, I found wrestling by myself because, you know, me and my brother were getting bullied and I, I didn't want to, you know, fall victim to being bullied anymore. So I found wrestling myself and I, I just so happened by chance to attend the number one wrestling school in, in the nation and uh i just so happened to find ronin training center which is one of the most elite gyms in the midwest so whenever i think about the pressure man like i'm really not even supposed to be here i'm the i'm the underdog why would i why would i feel pressure you know what i mean i'm the i'm the hometown kid that somehow fucking snuck through the cracks and really made this shit happen i'm not the i'm not aaron pico you know what i mean i'm not i'm not that guy who's supposed to be the next big thing even though I act like that, and even though people tell me that, that's not what this was supposed to be. So whenever whenever I start feeling the pressure, man, I just I just get real grateful. I just get real grateful, and I uh, get thankful that I I start to think about my journey, man. You know what I mean? I just start to think about my life that's led up to this, and all the all the pressure comes off, and I just get happy. I just start smiling. And you know what they say: pressure makes diamonds, makes diamonds. and June 16th, I feel like we're going to see a diamond that night in the octagon. I want to talk about your opponent a little bit here. David McKinney, he went 4-4 and as an amateur and is 1-3 professionally. You were motivated to fight a guy like Graham Hunter, who was undefeated at the time with that 100% finish rate. Does that same motivation exist here in terms of the quality of your opponent? Not at all. And like I said, I don't mean to disrespect David McKinney, but... uh, no man, I've been I've been struggling to have that sense of uh for lack of a better word, fear, you know? Mm. That respect that respect for your opponent to be able to finish you, to, to really to really be able to do damage to you. I don't I don't have that respect for David McKinney. I don't have that I don't I don't respect his game, I don't respect his power. I don't respect his versatility. I don't respect his approach to fighting. I don't. I don't respect his tactics. You know, I, I've watched his film, and he's a he's a very it's a very easy riddle for me to solve. You know, respectfully. So to answer your question, no. Now don't get me wrong. I, I'm still out here doing my two a days. You know, I'm still out here busting my ass. Like I always like to say, like I'm about to fight Jose Aldo. I like I like to train, and in my head, I always tell myself. I'm about to fight Jose Aldo one day. I'm not, I'm not training right now to fight David McKinney. I'm training right now, and I'm fighting that fucker from Dagestan. You know what I mean? That's that's what I'm training for right now. So that keeps me on the edge of my toes. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, and the motivation still has to exist because you want to be great. And, of course, the stage at Bellator 297, your pro debut, one of the first fights of the night, Chicago. We just talked about all that. Why Jose Aldo, by the way? The one, the guy that you think about fighting? Yeah, man. People, my buddies all make fun of me, man. They think I'm a big Conor McGregor fanboy, but I look at I look at McGregor kind of like how Kobe Bryant looked at Michael Jordan. You know, his story of like, I feel like we just lived a very similar life, man. Like he was in that same transitionary period where he had finished school and he was supposed to pick up a trade, you know, and his dad was pressuring him to go the nine to five route. And he was like, this shit ain't for me. I'm not, I'm not wired that way. I'm supposed to be doing something creative with my hands. I'm, I'm supposed to be my own boss. I'm not supposed to be punching the fucking clock. And, uh, you know, that was, that was my truth. I don't know. His, his story is really one of the main things that inspired me to go down this path. Cause I was like, if this dude can do it with no wrestling background, I can fucking do it. And that, that's really how I felt. So, f- so for that reason, you know, Connor, Connor had that crazy big moment against Aldo. When Aldo, when Aldo was the world beater, you know, when, when, when Aldo had won every single round of every fight he'd been in for like six years. And then Connor just walked out and just slept him just because that was his, you know, that's just what he did. So that's why I say that. Yeah, is that kind of your dream opponent, regardless of weight class, regardless of age, anybody in their prime, that dream opponent of yours, would it be Jose Aldo? Man, I don't really, I don't really think I have a dream opponent. I don't really care who the opponent is, you know, I think, I think it'd be cool. People always like my friends, they know that I kind of have like, uh, for lack of a better word, kind of like idolized Conor McGregor. And it makes me feel weird. You know, it makes me feel like I'm a little fanboy sometimes. Cause I, I always study, I always study multiple areas of, of what Conor did inside and outside of the octagon, both as a businessman and as a martial artist. But I don't think there's anybody better to learn the game from than him, but I'd love to fight him someday. Maybe by the time I'm about 30 years old, his old ass probably going to still be around, like being 40 years old or some shit. And I'll, I'll take Connor's old ass out and put him in retirement if if uh, if the universe lets it line up. Well, him and Matt Brown are talking right now, right? Yeah, you saw that on, on Twitter, man? Yes, I sir. Too. I, I put that in my MMA group chat, and everyone was like, that wouldn't be fair. <laughs> um, but I'd love to see Matt get that payday, man. He just had that awesome win this past weekend, man. I was... You know, I don't really know him very well at all. You know, I've spoken to him a couple times. I've trained at Immortal, but he's not a very – he doesn't talk a lot. You know what I mean? He stays in his lane and, and grinds, but I was really, really happy to see that for him. That would be fucking huge for him to get that payday against McGregor, man. That would change his life. Yeah, 100%. If that fight were to happen, I know you're kind of like a, a fanboy of Conor McGregor in a way, but of hey, course you train at Immortal. Hey, your words, not mine, man. Your words. <laughs> but then you train an immortal. Who would you root for in that fight? Or are you kind of taking, you know? Oh, I, would, I, would, I would root for Matt. Okay, I there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm an underdog guy, man, you know? And, you know, honestly, man, I think Connor's kind of a douche. I really do, especially. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, man, especially these days, man. Like, yeah, man. I'm not really. That's the thing. Like, it's hard for me to be a fan of him because I think he's kind of a, he kind of, like, grosses me out now, honestly, but. Just the, just the story of, like, when he was coming up, when he was 19, 21, 22, 23. I've always really, like, related to that, to who he was as, as a young man trying to, trying to, you know, make it in the world. Like, that's the, that's the shit that I relate to, you know? Yeah, do you think he gets past his next test in Michael Chandler? I'm very interested to see, but uh, I do. I think that uh, based on what we've seen from Michael Chandler, Connor's going to find that chin with that left hand, man. 
Chandler comes out with an intelligent game plan and looks to take Connor down early, you know, ride him out the whole first round when he's the most dangerous. Then maybe in the second round, look to open up a little bit. Then maybe he's got a chance. But if he comes out and, do, and does what he's been doing, where he wants to fucking brawl, Connor's, Connor's going to find that chin in it and turn the lights out. Once again, we're talking exactly. to Mad Max Metzger here on Forge in Ohio. Just a few more questions for you here. Yeah. How do you foresee your pro debut going on June 16th? You said you'd be surprised if your opponent makes it past the second minute. Is that how you see it going down? Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a KO or a TKO in the first round, guaranteed. Any doubt in your mind that you won't be one or no waking up on June seventeenth? Zero. Love to hear, man. Zero. Love to hear the confidence Zero. out of you, man. So June sixteenth, you know, not only a big day for you, but for many guys that I've had on Forge in Ohio that also are people yeah, that you've trained man. with. I know yeah, Dylan Budka man. and Josh Pereira are fighting for LFA that night. And then Asher Frederick, the next day on the 17th, what's it like going to war on the same day, the same weekend with those guys around dude, you? Dude, it's even more than that, man. Fucking Mateo Gardner is fighting for LFA June 16th. Josiah Harrell, the muscle, ha- the muscle hamster, fighting on June 16th. So it's it's up for us, bro, on June 16th. Us, us Ohio, you know, I guess I'm an Ohio boy now. I've been here for a while. It's up for us, bro. You know, we're eating on June 16th. I don't know why we're all fighting on the same 24 hours, man, but it's exciting that we're all in camp together simultaneously, you know. But because about to bring home a world title, you know, Josiah probably wins this and then gets signed to the UFC. Josh Pereira wins this, you know, bumps up 2-0 as a pro, you know, starts getting paid by LFA. It's, It's really exciting, man. It really, really is. So on June 16th, I know all of your focus and attention are going to be on your own fight, your pro debut, but are you just going to kind of be checking the phone that night too, seeing these other guys and what's going on around the around your, your, your it, team, your partners, right? Yeah, man. They're, they're, they're all my partners. Every Everyone that I just mentioned are, are all people that I've trained with, you know, all all men that I respect. So yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be checking my phone. I might get a little bit of that cognac in me and forget what the fuck is going on, but you know, I have I have faith that every single person that we just mentioned is gonna walk away victorious. I do. So, yeah. But yeah, I'll, I'll be I'll be keeping tabs on it, man. I, w- I want to see how how they do. I'm, I'm excited for the this generation of uh, Ohio athletes. Now that now that we're all like getting away from the regional scene, there's no reason for us to not cross train together. You know, whenever whenever there was a potential for us to fight on the regional local scene, you know, it's a little bit. You know, we want to bump shoulders and shit during training, but. Now that we're all making it into the big leagues, now it's like it's like us versus the world, you know? Could you even try to describe the atmosphere of the gym right now with so many big fights on the horizon for all those guys that you just mentioned? Yeah, so a, a lot of us don't train at the same at the same gym. You know, some of those guys train in Grove City. Some of those guys train at Immortal. You know, Dylan trains down at Demolition Fight Team. So does Maceo. The energy in Ronan has been has been good, man. You know, it's kind of I wish we had more fighters on the team to be able to consistently get high level practice partners in. But it's always going to be at least one of my guys there for me, whether it's Mark Antonelli, Kobe Woodall, Melvin Harris, Nick Fox, Huber, you know, Taylor Adair. It's always it's always a legitimate partner for me to go with. But I wish I wish it was a little bit even even more consistent with uh, 
you know, because I got, I got kind of spoiled going down there to Extreme Couture. I got I got a taste of that next level, and now I'm trying to recreate that at Ronin. You know what I mean? So that's like that's like my standard now. That's that's what I expect every practice to feel like because I, I know that's what I need. Um, so I, I'm gonna keep pushing that envelope and continue to try to elevate the entire, you know, scene. Shout out my boy Miles Robinson. I'm, I know you had him on here twice. Love that man. Yeah. Him, yeah, that's my boy, man. We were down in Extreme Couture together for uh, for a week. I was down there for three weeks. He came down uh, for one week at the end of my at the end of my little trip. We told each other, "Hey, man, when we get back, it's up to us to to bring this energy and to bring this culture and this intensity and attention to detail back with us to Ohio. That's that's our job to do that for our partners and uh, for ourselves. So that's what we've been trying to do, and that's what I've been trying to do." Yeah, and I could only imagine what that atmosphere looks like at Ronin Training Center right now. I hope to make a, a trip down to Ronin here soon. I was invited, so maybe I'll, uh, I'll catch you there potentially on like oh, a yeah, Thursday or something. Oh yeah, you got to pull up, bro. I know I missed you when you came out to DBT, but I know you were over there with DB Train with uh, DJ Bruce and yeah, in the gang. Yeah, absolutely love that gang, and hope that I can make it down there again for Ronin and. I obviously wish oh, yeah. you and, and those guys that we just talked about the best of luck for what should make for a very exciting weekend in June. Before we wrap up, anything you want to plug here, shout out in terms of social media handles, sponsorships, anything like that here at the end of the podcast. Man, shout out to uh, Riot Inc. Ohio. You know, if you're, I have uh, this giant blue dragon that's on my chest that was done by my boy down there, Nathan Varney, at uh, Riot Inc. Ohio. So, you know, all you... All you people down here in Central Ohio, go to Riot Inc., man. You know, he's legitimately one of the best in the business. Shout out to uh, Celevate Gummies. You know, this is this is no bullshit. I wouldn't lie to you on this podcast now, Jake. These gummies right here, <laughs> Celevate, Celevate Gummies, bro, they're the first of their kind. They have this specific antioxidant in them called uh, something disputase. These things have been a lifesaver for me, man. These uh, Celebate gummies, bro, I'm, I'm 100% serious. It's called superoxide dismutase. I started giving them to my grandpa. I started giving them to my dad. I started giving them to my mom. They all have chronic inflammation in their body. And they're swearing by these things too now, man. So if you know anybody, Jake, or anyone listening, know somebody, hit up Celebate.com and type in the code MADMAX. You'll get 15% off. But these things are a lifesaver, bro. Absolutely, man. Can I ask you for one more hard sell on the fight on June 16th? You do such a great job at selling these fights. One more. Why should people tune in? Mad Max Metzger's pro debut, June 16th, Bellator 297. Give them a reason. Man, you just don't want to miss it. Point blank, period. The madness is coming home. I've been out here in the in Ohio brewing. You know what I mean? I've been brewing this shit up. It's all led up to this moment, and it's going to be violent, bro. It's going to be bad. I'm telling you right now, they shouldn't have put him in there with me, bro, because he, he might not walk out the same. Love to hear it, man. Thanks again, Max, for coming on Forge in Ohio for a second time. And not only are you a great fighter, but your personality and character and that brand we talked about are just so infectious. You already know how I like to end these chats on Forge in Ohio. You gave uh, us a very passionate IO last time. I'm yes, expecting sir. the same time this around. So, OH... I-O! Thank you, Max. Thanks for the time. Oh, I wish you the best on June 16th and all those other guys as well in your pro debut. And let's link up for a third time down the road, man. Hey, Jake, I appreciate you, man. Thank you for what you're doing for all of us local fighters down here in Ohio, man. You're really helping us get our brands out there, and we and we appreciate you, man. I know I speak for the whole gang that uh, 
we appreciate what you're doing, man. So thank you and God bless. That was Mad Max Metzger joining us for the second time on Forged in Ohio. If you want to hear more about his amazing story of how he got into MMA and the first few fights of his amateur career, don't forget to go back and check out episode 11 of Forged in Ohio. I will have that episode linked in the description of this podcast to make that a little bit easier to find. It was an incredible episode, and you'll want to hear that to learn more about this phenomenal prospect in the state of Ohio. But for now, his incredible run as an amateur ended with a third belt, and now he finds himself debuting as a pro in Bellator on June 16th at Bellator 297. I can't wait for that fight, and after listening to this, I'm sure that you can't wait for that fight either. 30 episodes in the books and a whole lot more to go for this podcast. To help support the show, follow at Forge in Ohio on Instagram, download episodes on your podcast platform of choice, and give the show a five-star rating while you're there as well. I've been your host, Jake Murren, and this was Forged in Ohio.